You know, if you go to the car dealer and you're thinking about buying a car, you're going to replace the one that you want, and you don't have enough money to pay cash for it, so you decide that you're going to have to finance it. And if you go to Citizens Bank and Trust and you tell them, hey, I, I want to buy this car and, and here's the car, and they're going to say, okay, what do you do for a living? And you're going to tell them, and how much do you make, and how long have you been there, and what's your credit history, and they're going to check all those things out. And then they're going to determine whether or not you're an acceptable risk, that they feel like you're going to pay back whatever that payment is that comes due every month. And if they feel like they determine that you're acceptable, if you make, are, are in the parameters that they operate, then they're going to give you some money and you're going to buy the car. But you know what? They don't care if you quit your job the next day. As long as on the first of the month, you bring that money to them every month. They don't care if you're out collecting aluminum cans. They don't care if you sell your firstborn or your secondborn. They don't care as long as you bring that money on the first or whenever it's due every month. That's a contract. We understand that. A contract is they don't care how I live. They don't care what I do. As long as on the, obviously if I get arrested, they're going to care. But as long as I bring that money the first of every month, Mr. Greg and Mr. Chad are going to be happy campers. A covenant is something different. A covenant, especially in the, in, in the covenant with God, it is not just one aspect of our lives. It's not just this agreement that I'm going to do this every month. A covenant is something that affects every aspect of our being. In our Bible class today, we read a verse in Luke chapter 10, where a lawyer came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, well, what do you think? And he says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength. You know what he was saying there? That that covenant relationship with God involves every aspect of our being. It's not just going through the emotions. It's not just having good intentions. It's not just being sincere. It's all those things. We must love the Lord thy God with all of our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength. That's what a covenant with God requires. And here's the thing. When you go to the bank... And they say, well, you know, we want to lend you this money, Bob, and we're going to, uh, we'd like to get 15%. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I paid off my last loan. I think I should get a little better rate. And, and sometimes you can negotiate. Or the bank will say, well, you know, we'd like to have this payment on the first of the month. And you say, well, you know, the way I'm paid, it would work out better for me if I could pay it on the 15th of the month. And many times there's some flexibility with the bank, with that person you're engaging in a contract with. 
And it's not necessarily the bank. It may be a contractor. It may be a thousand different things. But with God, there's no wiggle room. There's no negotiation. There's no yes, but. God says, this is it. You either accept it or reject it. This morning, we're going to look that throughout the history of mankind, from creation onward, God has always had a covenant with mankind. And then we're going to end up, because you saw the title of the sermon, The Marriage Triangle, how that covenant aspect works with marriages. So when we think back to creation, um, we see Adam and Eve. God tells them, okay, tend the garden. You can eat of any tree in the, in, the, uh, in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they eat of that tree that they should not have eaten of. Bible clearly says that sin entered the world through Adam. In other words, they violated the covenant. The covenant from God was don't eat that tree. They chose not to. We get to chapter 4, and then, of course, in chapter 3, it tells us about the consequences of violating God's covenant. They're thrown out of the garden. They can't be there anymore. They no longer have access to that paradise that God had created for them. They no longer have access, access to the tree of life that would granted them to, uh, enabled them to live forever. They've lost all that because they've violated God's covenant. We come to chapter 4. Here comes Cain and Abel. They bring a sacrifice to God, and we told in the scriptures there that God did not have respect for Cain's sacrifice. By the very fact that God didn't accept it implies that he told them what he wanted. Because he said, if you do right, sin won't lie at the door. But if you do wrong, it will. And then when God killed Abraham, excuse me, back that up. When Cain murdered his brother Abel, God held him accountable for that. Which again implies that God says, hey, you can't go out there killing people. And so there was a covenant there, though we don't have it in explicit terms, by the very fact that God held Adam and Eve accountable, by the very fact that he held uh, Cain accountable for his actions, implies that God says, here's what you need to do to be right with me. In chapter uh, 5, verse 22 through 24, we read about this fellow that's named Enoch. And the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. Now, we don't know, we're not told what he did specifically, but whatever it was, God must have given him the information or given mankind the information to know what one must do to walk with God. Or else, how would we even know? So we see this covenant relationship. We move on in chapter 6. Here God, he regrets that he's ever even formed man, that he ever even created man. And he says that the thoughts and intents of their hearts are on evil continuously. So what was evil? 
what was good. If there's no standard, if there's no covenant, then what is evil and what is good? In Romans, Paul says, when there is no law, there is no sin. So there had to be a covenant. We move on to Noah. God decides he's going to destroy the world by water. He does. Noah builds an ark. His family's in there. They're in there for approximately a year, if I remember. The, the waters abate, and God makes a covenant with Noah. We read about that in Genesis 8, verse 20, down through chapter 9, verse 17. He tells Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah, that I'm never again going to curse the ground for man's sake. He says, I'm never again going to destroy the, the earth, mankind, with water. And he also gave Noah the use of animals and fuel, for food, where up to that time we're led to believe that everybody was a vegetarian. And he told them how precious blood was. Don't eat an animal which has its blood in it. And if you take blood of a fellow human being, blood's going to be required of you. Life was precious. And then he gave him a sign of that covenant relationship. And, and if I was to ask one of our young people today, they would tell us that that sign was the rainbow in the sky. Every time that you and I see a rainbow, and we're blessed here in Florida, we see them almost daily in the summertime. And every time you and I see that rainbow, it reminds us, it reminds God that he has made a covenant with mankind that he would never again destroy the earth with water. God had a covenant. We move on in Genesis chapter 12 and, and then down through about Genesis chapter 22. God makes a covenant with Abraham. He tells him to leave his family and go to a land where God would tell him to stop. And, and he tells Abraham in chapter 15 that his descendants, even though Abraham had no son at that time, and Abraham thought his, his heir would be one of his hired hands, and he said, no, God says that his descendants... His physical lineage would be like the stars in the heaven. And in chapter 22, he expounds on that and he tells Abraham that, excuse me, that um, he would be given a land. His in, in, uh, descendants would be given a land and that in his seed, that a descendant of his, in his seed, all the nations, all the peoples of the world would be blessed. Well, in chapter 17 there, he tells Abraham to circumcise himself and all the men that are in his household. And from that time on, every child on the eighth day was to be circumcised. And God says that is a sign of this covenant relationship that I have with you and your descendants. God had a covenant with Abraham. We move on down through the years, and, and Abraham dies, and, and, or he has a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau as his son. Jacob becomes Israel. God renames him. And he has 12 sons who are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. They go into Egyptian bondage through a series of events. And God says, Mo, sends Moses to them to lead them out of that bondage and to make a nation, a people of them. 
And when he was doing that, he made a covenant with Israel. And Romans chapter, we know it, of course, as the law of Moses. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, the text says, Moreover, the law ended that entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And that word entered there literally means entered alongside. Alongside what? Alongside the covenant that God had made with the non-Israel people, the Gentiles. Those who were not the children of promise, like Esau and his descendants. And so God set Israel aside, and in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Moses tells them, he says, God's making this covenant with you. He's giving you these statutes. They weren't for your ancestors. They're for you who are here today. And he specifically names them Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, we read, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, God told Moses, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Notice what God said. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Did Israel obey God's voice? Did they keep his covenant? If you're familiar with the Bible at all, clearly they did not. God calls them a stiff neck and hard-hearted people. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse in the following chapters, we are seen, we see, we read the covenant that God made with Israel. We tend to focus upon those things which were written and engraved on stone. We call them the Ten Commandments. But as we read through Exodus, there's many commands that God made in this covenant that he made with Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, when Israel was going through a horrible time and they were about to be taken into Babylonian captivity because... They did not keep God's commandment because they did not honor God's covenant that they were about to be taken in captivity. Jeremiah prophesied of a new covenant. He said this in Jeremiah, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. He says, Behold, Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. Remember, he had made a covenant. Moses had given him a covenant. Clearly, it says that in Exodus 19, 
You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, now, approximately a thousand years later, 900 years later, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in that day that I took them, out of the hand, took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Amen. God told Israel that covenant that Moses gave you, that covenant would end. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, if you have your Bibles, and if you'll turn there. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no one would have, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, problem wasn't the covenant he says but finding fault with them the problem was that Israel did not keep their covenant finding fault with them behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob he goes on the writer to the Hebrew Christians to quote Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And notice verse 13. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, if you just look over, it's probably on your next page. It says, and for this reason, he, Christ is the subject here, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Christ brought in a new covenant. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, we read, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice what Paul, an apostle inspired by God, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, is the thought there. So the covenant that you and I live under today is the covenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Doesn't matter what the Jews did. We don't have to do what they did. Doesn't matter what Abraham did. We don't have to do what Abraham did. We have to do what Christ tells us to do in the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God made a covenant with man, he either chose to follow it or he chose not to follow it. If a person follows the stipulations of the covenant, that person's going to be blessed. If that person fails to follow the stipulations of the covenant, that person's going to be cursed. There's no other way around it. I don't get any wiggle room. I can't renegotiate. I can't change the dates. I can't do anything. God says, here's the covenant. Take it or leave it. If you take it, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. If you reject it, I'm going to curse you beyond your wildest dreams. So what does all that have to do with marriage? Well, let's turn back to Matthew 19. We live in a time where marriage means whatever you want it to mean. You want to marry your dog? Marry your dog. You want to marry your, your pony that you used to ride on with the stick? Marry your pony, whatever it is. You can marry. Seems like people are marrying anything and everyone and no one. And I saw on the news a while back a person married themselves. I didn't quite understand that, but there's a lot of things at my age I don't understand anymore. Notice what Jesus says. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him there and he healed them there. The Pharisees came to him testing him. That's important. They were just trying to catch Jesus in saying something so they could make him look bad to the, to the multitudes that were following him. They didn't care what he taught. They didn't care what he did. They just wanted him to make, make him look foolish or make him say or do something that was contrary to the law of Moses, contrary to the will of God, so that they could say, oh, look, we showed you. He's not God's man. Testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? There's, a, there's some historical context that comes into play here. There were two schools of thought, if I'm understanding correctly, at that time. There was a, a, um, a looser school of thought and a more conservative school of thought. The looser school of thought was, if your wife did anything that displeased you, uh, she burnt the food, then you could put her away. The more conservative school of thought was, no, the only reason you can put your wife away is because of some sexual immorality. All right, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them notice? Male and female. I'm going to let you all in on a little secret. You may not know this. Uh, you may be unsure but you're either a male or you're a female. There's no third choice, there's no fourth choice, there's no fifth choice, there's no, I identify with this, God made them male and female. I'm sorry, 
Our government says, you can, you can be whatever you want. Our culture says, you can be whatever you want. And you can choose that. If that's what you want to choose, you choose it. But be aware, when it comes to God's covenant, if you reject it, there's ramifications. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? You're only one or the other. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, I understand today in our culture and in our government that husband and wife is a very fluid term. I was watching... Uh, a there was a commercial, I think, during the Super Bowl where Elegant, Elegant, yeah, that's short for Ellen De No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> what, whatever her name is, I, I, I'm going to mispronounce it, and, I, and I, it's not fair that I do that. But, but she was there, and, and she's there with another lady, and, and, and I, the impression is that one of them is the husband and one of them is the wife. She said, come on, babe. I, 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 first, I didn't hear it. And the second time, she says, come on, babe. We got to go. And it says here, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That literally, in the original language, is the woman of his. In other words, God, in his infinite wisdom, tells us that this man is going to be joined with a woman, and that woman will be his woman, or as we would say, wife. I don't get to redefine the terms. I can if I want to, but when I break God's covenant, there's ramifications, there's consequences. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. There's an interesting note in the original language. That word be joined, if you and I were to say that, we would say, like when Shirley and I got married, I joined to Shirley. Shirley joined to me. But in the original language, it's passive. In other words, something joined Shirley and I. We were actually passive in that joining. And the next sentence tells us so then they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let not man separate now you're beginning to understand the marriage triangle see Shirley and I thought well you know we're getting married we're doing this we're doing that but if we do things the way that God planned, he joins us. Well, what does that say? Does God join a man and a man when they marry? Does God join a woman and a woman when they marry? The process is a man left his mother and father, and God joined him to that woman of his, his wife. And whatever God joins together, let not man separate.
So why is all this important to us? It's important that since God does the joining, any marriage or divorce outside of the parameters set by God is not a marriage or not a divorce. Let not man put asunder or let not man separate. God said God marriage is a joining. He joins a man and a woman. Any other joining by man is not God, is not by God. So just because our government says that Fred can marry Ed or Mary can marry Sarah or Sarah can marry Candace or whatever it may be, God says, no, it's a man and it's a woman. Secondly, it's important to us that when God joins a couple, it is for life. In Romans chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. In other words, God intended marriage to be for life. And since God joins a man and a woman, only he can unjoin them. If we're going to remain in that covenant relationship with God. Now, if I don't care about that, then I can end my marriage anytime I want. But when I violate God's covenant, there's some ramifications that I'm not going to enjoy. In Matthew chapter 9, if we read on, in verse or 19 and verse 9, and I say to you, Jesus again speaking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immoralities, King James, New King, or King James says fornication, and I believe that's the thought there. Except for fornication and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. In other words, Jesus gave one exception for a man and a woman to break that, re that marriage within the covenant of God is if either the husband or the wife is unfaithful, commits adultery. Then that, that man and woman can break that covenant and the innocent party is free to marry again. So it's important because those kind of things come into play very much in our society. Secondly, it's important to us because the consequences of violating God's covenant are very serious. Let me read to you some passages from Deuteronomy chapter 28. God told, Moses, told Israel through Moses. He says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And if you read on from verse 3 down to verse 14, God just lists these blessings. You know, they'll have plenty of food, all those things that they need, their crops will bear, their flocks will bear, all those things. But then in verse 15, he says, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God 
to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. When you get home today, read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 16, down to the end of the chapter. And it's horrific what God said would come upon them because they rejected his covenant. Well, you might say, well, we're not under the law of Moses. That was a different God then. He was a God of wrath. We're under a God of love. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, talking about the return of Jesus. And he says, when Jesus returns, he will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God says, if you don't keep my covenant, there's going to be consequences. God has always had a covenant relationship with mankind. God sets the covenant, either we accept it or we reject it. And he has determined that the covenant relationship in marriage, it is between a man, he joins a man and a woman in marriage. His covenantal plan is that for marriage to last a lifetime, he gives one exception. If one of those, either the man or the woman, commits adultery, then the innocent party is free from that bond and can remarry. The marriage bond is God-tied. Remember, we used to say the phrase, I don't think we do anymore. Oh, they tied the knot. No, they didn't tie it. God tied it. And only he can untie it. Which brings us to another thought. There is a place that the Bible tells us about. A place where there is no pain and no sorrows, no tears. A place of constant joy, a place in the presence of God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a place that Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he was going to prepare. That where he was, others may come and be with him. But the Bible clearly says that not everyone will see that place. The same Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. God's will for us is to come to a faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Faith is essential for you and I to see heaven. But faith is not just merely something I think in my mind. James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 14 and following, that true faith, saving faith, is a faith that is manifested in our actions. 
We initially manifest that faith by repentance. We make a decision. No longer am I going to do what is evil, what is wrong, what is contrary to the will of God. But I am going to start doing what God wants me to do. It's not enough just to go halfway and stop doing what is wrong. I also I have to go the whole way and do what God wants me to do. Then and only then can I confess Jesus as my Lord. The Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8, we read, he sees this water and he says to Philip, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, if you believe, you can. And the Ethiopian made the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But he couldn't make that confession unless he was willing to give that, his life to Christ. Because if we confess that, that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, but we're not willing to give our life to him, we're hypocrites. And the Bible says a lot about hypocrites. But what about my past sins? We're told in Acts 2.38 and Acts 22, verse 16, and 1 Peter 3.21 and Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, that at baptism, immersion in water, a burial... That our sins, God washes away our sins. It's nothing magical, Peter tells us, in the water. It's not a, a sacrament like some teach where, you know, this water has been blessed or anything like that. No, Peter says it's an answer of a good conscience towards God. That I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to keep his covenant. And in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it tells us in that process, our sins are washed away. They're remitted, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. See, I want to see heaven. And I hope you do too. And God says, if I want to, I must do those things. And then I must follow, continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking and bread of prayers that we read about in Acts verse chapter 2, verse 42 and following. And if I do those things, I have kept God's covenant. And that when Jesus comes again, I won't have to worry. And neither will you. Because we are saved by grace through our faith. If you need to be baptized this morning so that you can know assuredly that God has cleansed you from your sins. We'd like to help you to do that. If you are a New Testament Christian and you realize that there is sin in your life, that you haven't been living according to the apostles' doctrine, you haven't been following the covenant of God, and if we can pray with you or for you, we urge you to let us know. If we can help in any way, won't you come? Heaven is a long time. Heaven lasts for eternity. For those who keep God's covenant, hell lasts for eternity for those who reject it. If we can help in any way, won't you come as we sing this song of encouragement?